My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Steve Meller. Uh, he is the founder of Career Competitor LLC. He's a former swim coach to Olympic gold medalist. Uh, he's the author of Shock the World, a competitor's guide to realizing your potential. He's an executive coach to CEOs, executive teams, entrepreneurs, and emerging leaders. Uh, former top 50 world-ranked swimmer, uh, ICF certified coach with a master's in management. And on top of that, he's one of my peers as a podcast host. Uh, he hosts the longstanding uh, podcast, Career Competitor. So. Uh, Steve, oh, that's the other thing. We're uh, we're both members of the NSA, and that's right. um, that is actually where we met. Was at uh, uh, what what was the name of that? Influence. 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 Yeah. <clears throat> just over over <laughs> over lunch. Over lunch, we just I picked the table. I happened to see, pick the seat next to you, and I think it was about an hour and a half later we finished lunch. Right. It, yeah. it, we we spent some time together. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. And uh, we had the idea to uh, be on each other's podcasts and see if we can reproduce the magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, man, thank you so much for for coming on and uh, having this conversation with me. I, I'd like to start off with, you know, where you were born and raised, uh, how you ended up in louisiana of all places and um you know really like who are some of your early influences yeah i will uh to to be able to just position the accent for everybody northwest of england born and raised a small town called chester just outside liverpool manchester in the northwest very much the the heart and soul in my opinion in my very biased opinion the heart and soul of england uh the best representation i would say of what true <laughs> true England true England is. I didn't say the best representation of people. I just said what true England is. So you can just incorporate and interpret that however you want. Um, but for me, man, like I all I knew growing up was play. Like all I did was play. And when I start to actually trace my steps all the way back now to my childhood, doing what it is I now do today, I didn't know then. I certainly didn't realize this through most of the years prior to the last couple, but you know, I was planting all these seeds, firstly, of just being competitive, and secondly, of realizing potential. And it wasn't necessarily in myself. It was more so probably in those around me. Like, how can I set up a situation where everybody somehow gets a taste or a sample of what it might look like to go realize and pursue your best self? And uh, one of my favorite stories that literally came from a, a speech and a breakout session right before we uh, we hopped on here one of my favorite stories is is how growing up around the age of seven or eight, me and a bunch of the kids on the in the neighborhood, we would do we would just simulate the Olympic Games in our neighborhood, you know. And and so 
I was the instigator every time. Let's do Olympics today, guys. Let's do Olympics. We'll do the sprint. You know, we'll run from one end of the neighborhood to the other. That's the, the pretty basic version of that. Hey, we can kind of simulate the hundred meter dash by doing that. It was nowhere near hundred meters, but in our minds, it was. And then we got a bit creative and we we're like, hey, how, can we do the shot put? Like, should we go to someone's backyard and find something really heavy and just throw it? You know, it's just like, <laughs> okay. It's like, just let's, let's just be a little bit, even at that age, it was like, we were smart enough. Don't throw it towards the house, throw it away from the house. Uh, but, you know, little things like that, little traces of just me being competitive, but also, hey, how can I put people on a platform to be able to go realize that potential? And my path that I ended up diving into, uh, pun intended, uh, was around the age of sort of 12, 13. I found the sport of swimming, got really committed to it, became very competitive within it in England, in Great Britain, uh, around 16, 17, started to make my first national teams around then. Uh, and then to really start fast forwarding the story, I uh, got recruited to the United States, swam at North Carolina State University. That was when I became one of the top 50 200 meter backstrokers in the world um, in my event. And um from that point on, I kind of fell into coaching. I finished my four years of, of competing, and then I did my master's degree in management and became a graduate assistant, started coaching, completely got hooked, and then ended up finding a position out in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, around 2011, 2012. A few uh, things got me off that path uh, a couple of times through those first few years. But then once I eventually committed and was able to really get my head down and commit to the, the sport of swimming as a collegiate swim coach, the rest is kind of history over the last, uh, most of the last eight years before I started my business two years ago. And that's almost a whole nother story. So I'll just, I'll just press pause right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you took us from your own, uh, you took us from your time as an athlete to becoming a coach, but I, I'd like to hear a little bit about that transition from coaching college swimming to coaching an Olympic athlete. Mm -hmm. And yeah. how, how is it, how is it different? Is there any difference? There is, there is. And the, 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 the one thing I will say though, is that, because naturally I talk about this a lot um, is that everybody has their own version of an Olympic final. Everybody has that. And some, for some people, they can literally pursue that as a goal. Like it's a truly realistic goal, but that is a less than 1% group. That is a tiny, tiny group uh, that sets foot on this earth that can realistically pursue something like that. There are many, many more percent of people that have convinced themselves that they can do it. Uh, right or wrong. And I've seen plenty of them over the years too. Uh, but the fact of the matter is there are a handful walking on this earth uh, year in, year out that can truly say I'm realistically going for something like that. But we all have our own version of that. And so all of these athletes prior to actually being in a position as a coach where I could, I could actually coach folks to the Olympic Games, people were doing their version of that up until that point. So whether that be, hey, I just want to be good enough to be able to go to the the SEC championships and be competitive. Well, I want to go to the SEC championships and I want to get a second swim. I want to make finals or I want to be able to qualify for the NCAA championships or I want to get a second swim final at the NCAA championships, et cetera. All these different nations as well that would end up being recruited kids from all around the world, you know, realistically, could they make their international teams? But the U S Olympic team in the sport of swimming just happens to be the most competitive and most difficult 
Olympic team that any summer on on Earth can can make. It's if you if you make the team, chances are you're in a med, you're medal contender because that's how competitive it is. Just simply to make the U.S. Olympic team, and so everything I was doing up to that point of working with someone that had the mindset and the ability to become a U.S. Olympian, um, they were all doing it in their own ways in their own capacities in terms of yeah this is i'm never going to be that olympic champion or that olympic finalist or even go to olympic games but i have my version of that and i'm going to be hell-bent on doing the work and putting myself in the position to actually realize my potential in, in, in regards to that how did you end up coaching uh was it just the the athletes were swimmers there on your team and you were like, hey, you know, you're pretty good. You should try out for the Olympics. Yeah, it's funny, man. Like you just in the in the world of college coaching, especially the Olympic sports, you know, you're building a program that can become hospitable to that of someone that has the ability to become an Olympian. And so for me, I spent five, six years pretty much trying to create a culture and an environment at LSU specific to the one that I was overseeing which was uh, sprint swimming. So swimmers that would sprint either the 50 meters, 100 meters, sometimes the 200. Um, But athletes that had uh, that ability over those events and be able to then give them the environment where they could, like I say, realize their potential. But I needed to be doing that sort of year on year on year before a talent that it was capable of making Olympic Games could say, hey, I could not only could I go there and get better, I could actually go get better and achieve this lifelong dream of mine. Um, And it all goes back to recruiting. You know, the individual, his name is Brooks Curry, that I ended up coaching to the U.S. Olympic team in what ended up being the 2021 Olympic Games because of COVID. Um, He, uh, I recruited him when nobody else wanted to. And not because of an attitude thing or anything like that. People just didn't simply see in him what I saw. I saw a talent. I saw this ability. And I was all i was doing was telling him like just trust me brother like if nobody else believes in you i believe in you you need to come on over and just let me show you and let me provide to you what it is you need to realize this potential that i know you have and it was a very reaffirming process because you keep telling yourself as a coach i am creating the culture required to produce this type of talent this type of performance but until you really get the pieces you need, i.e. the human being itself, the athlete itself into that environment, you can never really test it. And that was my final, that was my, finally, I got that opportunity. Like, this is someone that can do it. This is someone that wants to do it. And I truly believe we have the culture and the environment to get them there. You, at some point, wrote a book. <laughs> when when did you write it? And when was it published? And what is it about <laughs> one so one year ago man one year ago to the day that we're having i don't know when this will come out but it, it, it was right around this date i've been getting all these reminders one year anniversary things on social media the past like week or so of when i was all over everybody's feeds telling everybody that i wrote a book this time last year and uh, the book's called shock the world competitors guide to realizing your potential and it stemmed from this journey that i went on with this athlete at lsu I knew there was something about the story that was unique enough to write about it. I, as you mentioned in the introduction, had this podcast and still do, and it's it's a little over five years old. We're about to hit 200 episodes. And I had all this, I had this wealth of just insight and 
proof and evidence of people that had done it in their own worlds that, hey, when they knuckled down and they did the work, they realized their potential. They shocked their respective world. And that's the, the first point I make within the book is it's not about the world that we know. It's not about the globe, the you know, every, every single inch of this universe. It's about, hey, what is your world? What is some people's world is is a matter of people, a matter of people that they can count on one hand. Like, and, and but what what could you do within that world that you operate in that proved to said people that hey, I'm not only invested in realizing my potential, but I'm going to go do it. I'm going to shock you all and go ahead and realize my potential. And so that was the the thought behind the book. So the the story of the athlete that I recruited that went on and made the games. It kind of just we just follow that story through the book, but I drop in throughout the book. There's there's ten different shocks throughout the book uh, in terms of real shock to the system in how in terms of how I challenge the reader, and then within that I'm sprinkling in all these different insights and stories from uh, from folks about eighteen people that have been on the podcast up to that point when I wrote the book. And what's cool about it is the podcast has continued long after the book was written. And I'm already thinking now, like, oh, I had these amazing guests in the last year and I've been doing this, I've been doing this, like book number two, what's it going to be? And how do I incorporate these people? Because they've got their own insights that I would love to share with the world. So yeah, man, that's what it's about. And uh, as you know, book writing process is uh, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a long process. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Well, Depends how you go about it though. So we'll <laughs> see. I mean, I was, mine was it was intense, but short. Like I, I set myself some very tight, like I work better within tight expectations. So I would have these little like self-inflicted, like 48 hour writing retreats that I would do. And I would just look at my, you know, I'd, I'd say, say to my wife, I'm like, okay, five weeks from now, I'm not doing this this weekend, five weeks from now, you just need to maybe have your mom on speed dial. She's only an hour away, or maybe just go ahead and invite her over to the house and have some help with the kids. Because I'm going on a writing retreat. I'm I'm disappearing for 48 hours. I'm immersing myself in the writing of this book. Because usually it would take me a couple of hours to find my groove. And then lo and behold, something would come up and I'm no longer writing. And so it was like this isolation process that I took. And I did like four of these 48-hour stints over the course of four months with some mornings and stuff sprinkled in. I actually wrote my book pretty much in four months, like just, just doing it that way. And uh, I had enough feedback to say that it, the process worked. I don't know whether I'll do it that way again, um, but it was, uh, I got very familiar with this room that I'm talking to you right now. It's kind of like that castaway sort of thing. I started talking to like pieces of furniture around the room and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You made a transition from collegiate swim coach to now you're coaching executives, executive teams, you're you're being called to speak in front of these really incredible groups of people. What is it that you're saying to them? And maybe what's what's your go-to lesson to kind of illustrate your mindset on how to be, to be at that level, to be that that executive that others look to, to being that, that athlete. I I feel like I know the answer that you're going <laughs> to say, but um, I'd, I'd rather hear it from you than. <laughs> well, I, you know, what I'm kind of hearing in your question is like, 
and I, I get asked this a lot, you know, it's just, and it was a huge sort of imposter syndrome thing for me to get over when I first started my business. You know, you, you walk into a, a networking event and it's like, what do you do? I'm an executive coach. How long have you been doing that for? Two weeks. <laughs> and like, how did you get the job? I gave myself the title. It's like, okay. It's <laughs> like, all right, I'm not, you're not convinced me of really anything right now, brother. Like keep going. And, and just like, well, my background is performance and not only performance, elite performance. And while the people that I was working with in that space predominantly were wearing swimsuits and speedos and all this kind of stuff and men that are shaving their hair and all this kind of stuff, like very unique environment where you're working in performance, it's performance nonetheless. And all the human hiccups, let's say, that we are naturally accustomed to falling victim to, we we do it in the space of swimming. We do it in other sports. We do it in life. We do it in our careers. We do it when we run our business. But it's, it's all the same stuff. And when you get past that, like, oh, this guy, yeah, he worked with swimmers, but it turns out what he's been saying to them this whole time completely resonates with me as I run my business, completely resonates with my team. And, you know, what's funny is I, when I do talk about the executive coach, I used to have to reach for like, what the heck that even is. And I, I've played around with like maybe removing the executive and putting high performance instead. And then some people are just like, oh, whoa, high performance. Huh? Ooh. And, you know, so you, you never quite know how the heck you're supposed to deliver what it is you do when you're in my space. But the one thing I love saying now is that whenever, sh whenever someone shows me their face being confused or misunderstanding what it is I do, I just go, I help people get out of their own way. I help people get out of their own way. And, and straight away, people go, oh, do we need you? You know, do we need you? Like we're, all we do is we get in our own way. And athletes would do that constantly. You know, the one thing you, you, you know, second part of your question about mindset, doubt, doubt is the result of some form of lack of preparation. It's something about your preparation that you're looking back on and saying, I don't trust my ability to perform in this moment based on the evidence that I have in front of me, based on the work that I've done up to this point. And that doubt in the world of high performance, say sport, that is assessed in the most brutal of moments. You know, you dive in and you've got a certain amount of time to get from the wall to the other wall. And you're completely assessed for a huge body of work based on about 20 seconds, 40 seconds, one minute, whatever it might be. Imagine that you're an executive, you're a business owner, and you walk into a meeting knowing that you have one minute to prove your value. And if you don't do it, then that entire room may assess and judge for that matter, the way in which you've prepared for that one minute over the last six months. That's the world that athletes operate in. It's crazy, crazy high stakes. And ironically, most of these business owners and executives that I work with, actually, when you hear it that way, they go, our stakes aren't quite as high as maybe we kind of tell ourselves. Like maybe they're playing with larger pots of money or lots of other stakeholders that can potentially be affected by decisions that they're trying to make. So in that capacity, 100%, you're obviously dealing with big things. But the fact of the matter is that mindset, things like doubt, things like limiting beliefs, all these things creep in as athletes and they creep in in terms of what we do professionally and they certainly creep in in terms of just us being the human beings that we are each and every day. So when I do speak on mindset, one of the first things, if not always the first thing, is how we get stuck in our own way. It's how we prevent ourselves from actually taking the steps required to see what our potential might actually be. It's no point me coming in and trying to sell you on your potential 
if you're going to walk out the room and give yourself five reasons not to go pursue it. And that's what we do. That's what we all do. And it takes coaching. It takes guidance. It takes going back and forth with someone just to simply hear yourself sometimes. Man, I'm, I'm just stopping myself from trying before I even actually try, you know? And, and that's what we do, sadly, as humans. We do that way too much. And it's why I love what I do now is I get to sort of be that almost microscope, if you will, for someone just to sort of dial in and say, oh my gosh, I've been doing, I've not only do I do this, I've been doing this for a while and I got to get out of this rut. I got to get out of this habit because if I do on the other side of it, that's where all the fun starts to happen for me. I'm curious about what you've found because I'm sure you've observed this. You've, you've coached some amazing athletes you've coached some you know very successful executives and i'm certain that there are some parallels between the makeup of those two types of individual is it the no quit mindset is it the mental capacity to like absorb lots of information and utilize it to benefit the company or the team or like what are the parallels that you've found in these two high performing types of people yeah i love the question because it allows me actually just to kind of piggyback off where i landed with the last thought is the commonality is they in spite of seeing all the reasons not to they do it anyway you know, and, and that's, it's not necessarily, hey, I don't know when to quit or, hey, I'm just being ignorant to this, this, and this. It's actually having an element of intentionality where you go, listen, I know what I'm signing up for. And I know the further and further I get with it, the more and more reasons and signs and challenges are going to come my way for me to stop. And, and, you know, that's so much of what you talk about, David, on this show is leadership. And that's leadership in a nutshell right there. When you move from one level of leadership to the next, you immediately take on bigger challenges, more frequent adversity. Every time you step up leadership in terms of the microscope you are operating under and the expectations that fall on your shoulders, it all increases. It all increases every single time. So you have to constantly re reestablish, evolve, and, and, and just invest in yourself as a leader to embrace the fact that, hey, I'm signing up for more now. And with that comes more opportunity for me to succumb to the adversity, the pressure, whatever it is that gets put on me. So the beauty of these athletes that make it to, said, say, in Olympic Games, or these executives and business owners that do the work with me that they do, the beauty of these people is that we sit down and they give me the reasons why they should probably quit or why other people quit or why they should pull back from this moment and why so many other people pull back. But then we sit there and say, yeah, but despite knowing that, do you still want to do it anyway? And if the answer is yes, and it's like, well, it's great that we know all these reasons not to, but let's now start focusing on finding the one reason why we should. And, and the story of that athlete that went to the Olympic Games no one, no one recruited him. No one believed in him. All the evidence said you are crazy to try and pursue becoming a U.S. Olympian. 
and the same goes with so so many folks that I work with today. They have so many examples of who they are and what they do around them that choose to find ways to not do something. And they find that one reason that they can get behind and justify to themselves, most importantly, why they should just do it anyway. What is your most favorite part of your book? <laughs> oh, that's, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, For me, You know, all the different shots, what's been cool, I've, I've done workshops on every single chapter now, which has been really cool to see how like, as you go beyond the book and you really start to dial in and, and, and get beyond just simple an exercise here and an exercise there that I offer within the book and actually go to real world application. It's been cool just to sort of see what resonates with people most. And that's kind of where I've been able to find myself gravitate towards, okay, this is the part of the book that's kicking, you know, kind of kicking people in between the eyes in a way that's just like, oh, this is really shocking me right now. And there's a chapter called Shock the Truth. And I joke all the time now, you know, I've really expanded upon that chapter in a variety of different ways in my work. Um, I think why that would be my favorite part of the book is that, man, we are just so, we can be so much better as people when it comes to just embracing and accepting truths. We just don't do well with the truth. And we give it, and it gets given a bad name because of that. You know, there's something about, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. And it's like always this sort of negative connotation to it. And it's like, what if me telling you the truth could be the best thing that I could be doing for you right now? But because you're going to hear it through this lens of, oh, here comes the criticism. It's like, well, it might not be criticism. It might just be something you need to hear. And that chapter seems to have really had some legs uh, just in terms of how it's resonated. And even as I'm speaking to you right now, this is why, gosh, I love the question, but I hate the question too, because obviously I have, you know, I give you one answer and now I'm thinking of three other parts of the book straight away where I'm like, oh, maybe that's my answer, you know, but um, I, I would have to go with that just because of the extent of the application, because I don't think we, I don't think we ever quite get comfortable with the truth, which means the room and the space for growth and work towards that is pretty much never ending. Um, and that's just who I, I'm just, I'm the most curious human being that I've ever met. And so for me, like my curiosity always goes towards, Ooh, there's a truth here that they can't see it, but I can see, but it's way more beneficial if I can help them see it as opposed to just flat out, tell them what the truth is, you know? And so that part of me is always fired up when I sort of recognize that. And I'm glad that was a kind of able to come through the book, uh, in, in some aspects. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, it, what's what's really funny is both of us suck at sending the other their book. <laughs> I still have man, I I still have you. And it's like <laughs> like this this is like today. I've been trying to get to this day for like the last four weeks. I've just had October's been nuts for me. And the last week of October, I'm actually gonna come up for air. And you're one of the many, many things that I'm gonna be taking care of in the space of this final week of October. I've got you're one of like six people that I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get my book out to you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And they're just like, Steve, <laughs> you sent it to me or not? Like, uh, my bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, this is this is your copy right here. Love it. Oh man, 
Well, we, we covered a lot of information, but is there anything that we didn't touch on that you believe we should have touched on or something that you want to leave with the audience? You know, I always like sharing this, you know, and it, it, it might come across as a little bit of like, you know, self publicity, but the, the, the heart of, but if, you know, I'll back it up with some evidence too. At, at the, at the heart of what the work that I do, everything about my business is centered around, centered around this term called the optimal self. Like if you go, if you go on my website, you'll see the, you'll see the term optimal self referenced a number of times. And it's funny, every single person that I work with, when they become a new client, it takes about three sessions, around halfway through the third session, they usually kind of stop mid thought or before I ask a question and they just go, you're this whole optimal self thing. It's not, it isn't just a marketing thing. You're, this is, you're about it, huh? And I'm like, you're damn right. Because what our optimal self represents is our capability. And far too often in life, life is going to try to convince you to not pursue it. It just is because it's, because it's reality. It's, it is literal reality. And too often we're, we, we become victim to seeing the worst in life. And then we start to see the worst in ourselves. And the more we can start to say, listen, this, you know, I see this big bag of reality that I'm not necessarily a fan of, but maybe you can start to create just a teeny tiny little bag on the side, which is the stuff that is worth seeing that can actually serve you, that can really help you, that can actually empower you motivate you excite you to pursue your optimal self and i use the word pursue so deliberately when i talk when i write because the optimal self is not something you just simply become it's not something you simply are it's something you pursue and you may in fact never get there and in my opinion that's the beauty of it is that you have this northern star within your world that you can chase you can pursue and you can just continue to be curious towards you can continue to learn from knowing that Every time you wake up again the next day willing to pursue it, you're going to be better off for having done so than you would be for not. And so I love leaving that with people because, again, it's, it's part of what I talk on when I do my keynotes. It's a huge part of the book. It's a huge part of the work that I'm doing naturally within my one-on-one -on -one and group coaching. But I love just sharing it because maybe someone's listened to this that hasn't heard an insight like that in some time and they just needed to hear it. And so... If you've just been kind of mindlessly listening to the last 25 minutes of what I've been saying, hopefully you caught that little bit at the end, because I'd like to believe hearing that might get you just a little bit out of your own way and start to formulate the plan and the steps required to, you know, make the most of this, uh, this opportunity that you've got on this planet. I would say that, that you never, I, I would say that it, it's, if you are in pursuit of your optimal self, you might reach today's goals today but if you're pursuing your optimal self that's going to be daily to the day you die because mm -hmm. every time you hit a milestone you've got to strive for more there's always mm -hmm. a better version of of you so absolutely i love that i, I love your intentional use of the word pursuit and optimal self like i've really yeah, when you were talking, I got chills. It, it takes me to our conversation when we were in that big ballroom. And uh, yeah, man, 
This is it's been an incredible experience getting to know you, having these conversations, and I'm looking forward to reading your book. And I would encourage everybody listening to follow you on social media. Like we we do a lot of the same stuff, but man, there's something about hearing your words with an English accent just makes it that much better, you know? <laughs> well, I have, thank God, because I have a face for radio. And so like for me, like if I don't, if I don't have the accent, I have nothing, I have nothing. Or God, fortunately, God put me in a, in a land where my accent would stand out and be appreciated. So yeah, I'm thankful for that, man. I'm thankful for you too, brother. Like right back at you, everything right back at you. Just, it's, um, it, it, there's there's something divine about the fact that we've been put into one another's worlds. I'm a huge believer in that. I'm a huge, I'm a man of faith. And so with that being said, I just, you know, thank you for the relationship that we, we are continuing to build and the investment that you have and the respect you have towards it. And just for this chance to come on and just chat to someone I'm a, I'm obviously a huge fan of. So I just appreciate the opportunity, brother. Thank, thank you for saying that, man. Yeah. Uh, well, for all those out there listening, this is probably the biggest audience that I've ever had. They're tuning in to hear you. So uh, um, for everybody listening, what's the best place for people to to learn more about you, to uh, get your social media links, to order your book? Yeah, man, appreciate that. Uh, you know, careercompetitor.com is a good place to start website's okay you know i just i just like website the website is like the bane of my existence i just it is what it is i have one um but for me i put a heck of a lot more time in in human connection so if you follow me on well if you're on instagram you can follow me at, at career competitor uh go to linkedin and just find me steve mella uh i i try to put out honest vulnerable truthful insights as often as i possibly can to serve people in their pursuit of their optimal self if you enjoy my voice enough and think that I could probably deliver a decent interview, you should go check out career competitor podcast as well. Always looking for new subscribers and listeners. Uh, but going back to my point of human connection, Steve at careercompetitor.com, contact me directly. I always make 30 minutes for just about anyone. So understand that I appreciate human connection. I appreciate making time for people. And like I just said, I appreciate you making time for me, brother. Amen, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank so you. you've been uh, been listening to Steve Miller and I on From Embers to Excellence. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.